HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's. Roberta'spizza.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. The topic? Restaurants and rules. Some rules are based on religion. This makes for an unusual scene in a Manhattan restaurant, a shy 20-year-old dictating the kitchen standards to a humble veteran chef. While other rules promote health and safety. But who are these feared rule keepers with the power to shut a restaurant down? They're not really like food, food lovers. Some restaurant rules fall outside the domain of the kitchen. All civil rights issues have basically, uh, at one point or another, revolved around the bathroom. For more, tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the Communications Director at HRN, joined by my co-host, my cohort, co-everything, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Thanks, Kat. <laughs> it's an honor to be your co-everything. Co-everything. Co-pilot. <laughs> Makes oh, all my days brand. better. Yeah, co-pilot. Yes. Uh, we also have our wonderful studio engineer, Matt Patterson. Hey, hey. What hey, up, dude? And our guest this week I'm very, very excited about when I... Got an email from him saying he's going to be in town. Worked out that he's in town on the day we tape our show. We've been waiting for him to come visit our <laughs> studio in person, and he's finally here. Welcome to Howard Conyers. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Um, so I've interviewed Howard a couple times. You may have heard us in conversation on HR and on tour before, but if you, or you may have seen Howard in many other places. He has a PBS digital series called Nourish. He is one of Southern Living's Southerners of the Year this year. He is a South Carolina whole hog bar- barbecue pitmaster. Is that the right order of words there? I guess it's all sure. something. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> South Carolina whole hog barbecue. Um, something that has been passed down in his community of Manning, South Carolina for generations. Um, and he does whole hog barbecues all over the place. We're going to talk about a very special barbecue he did recently. Um, and then, you know, very casually, his day job is testing rockets for NASA. So, just on the side. Yeah. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> My W-2 says the main thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, 
So yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of very interesting things with Howard. He is one of the most curious people and uh, loves to research all these crazy food history and things. And um, I love following you on Facebook because I'm always interested to see what you're wanting to explore next. Always fascinating. Really? Yes. Um, But first, Howard, we're going to do a few quick announcements. We have some housekeeping on happy hour we need to do. So um, first things first, Katie. Congratulations to all of us on having our Winter in the Garden gala. Go us. We did it. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> um, like, speaking of housekeeping, yeah. we've been uh, rearranging boxes in our office all day long. Uh, but uh, it was a great, beautiful party. We couldn't have done it without our friends at Patina Restaurant Group once again. We love you, Patina. The most awesome partners, and they set us up in the most beautiful space in the Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. We just couldn't have imagined anything more beautiful when we started doing this gala a whole year ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really awesome. We had so much food and drink and music. Uh, do you wanna, What were some of your highlights, Kat? Um, well, personally, my favorite thing was something that was kind of added a little bit last minute, but I was so thrilled about was the natural wine corner. Yes. I thought you were going to say wine, Santa, and I was like, <laughs> no! Uh, no. Uh, the pros and cons. Pros being the natural wine corner, cons being Santa, but um, that's Natural another. wine corner was legit. So lovely. It was so um, cozy. Thanks to Henry Glucroft of Henry's Wine and Spirit, who we have pretty recently brought into the HRN fold. Um, he hooked us up with like three cases of just the most amazing bottles of natural wine. And he joined us and was pouring wine for all of our guests all night. And Jordan Werner Barry was helping him out. And it's, it was like the, it's where the party ended. Like everyone flocked to the natural wine corner at the end of the night. And it was awesome. And they stuck. I mean, like time was up and we could not drag people out of there. We're like, it's time to leave guys. Uh, but Next it was year really we beautiful. Put the natural wine corner on wheels so we can wheel it <laughs> just leave everybody on Washington Avenue at the end of the night. Yeah, like, well, okay. but with some bottles of fancy wine. Yeah. Henry becomes like the Pied Piper and he's like leading yes, people out exactly. of the garden. <laughs> I think brass band. The, uh, there you yeah, go. That would be awesome. Okay, we have had a, a like a twelve piece, a ten or twelve piece brass band in actually inside of this studio right here. Um, we can do which that. Which is a metal box, in case you didn't know, <laughs> that we're inside a shipping container. So if we can do that, we could definitely do a brass band. I think maybe next year we need, like, a New Orleans contingent of the gala, and Howard should come up and bring, like, New Orleans Can we Orleans count you musicians. in for this right now while know. you're on air under it's, pressure? It's too early. <laughs> it's too early to make those commitments. That's right. fair. We're going to circle back. I we were just going to clone Chris Kuzme. I know. Like oh, we, yeah. That was another huge highlight for me this year, something we added um, that was, like, such a calming element was that during VIP hour, the garden was nice enough to let us do some tours into the bonsai room where I had actually never, ever been in before uh, at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. And it's just, it's already like a super open, like chill space. The the trees are, you know, kind of spread apart. A lot of them are hundreds of years mm-hmm. old. It's really, really incredible. And uh, we had Chris Kuzme from Foment About It uh, and Fifth Hammer Brewing was in there playing the saxophone, playing his interpretations. Interpretations. And it was just so beautiful. It was really, like, really stirring. And even for me, as I was running around like a total crazy person all night trying to make sure all the gallo went according to plan, I just stepped inside of there and had a moment, moment of escape. Of and yeah. It was just really beautiful. So, yeah, hats off to a, 
another successful gala. Um, you might notice we sound like a little bit hoarse, but it's been <laughs> uh, quite a party week. Yeah. And uh, we're really excited to um, just be doing bigger and better for next year. Yes. And also, the gala may be over, but it's still our end of year fundraising drive period. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out. Um, we Our goal for our fundraising period this year is $150,000 by the end of the year to keep um, HR and happy hour and all of our incredible programming on the air. So it's very easy to support us. You just go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member and, and you'll be able to hang out with us all year long. And you can also for certain levels, you can get t-shirts, koozies, pot holders, all sorts of great HRN swag. By the way, next year is our 10 year anniversary. So there's never a better time to become a member because we're going to have more events than ever before next year. Happy hours, panels, tastings, <laughs> more happy gala. hours. <laughs> like you should do it. It's going to become be a member. Yeah. A lot of the membership benefits also, like if you want to become a VIP mm-hmm. member, they include like we take you out to lunch at Roberta's and you can come sit in on our shows and it's really cool. So um, do that. Please come hang out with us. We would love nothing more than to feed you pizza and make your acquaintance and uh, let you see sort of the inner workings of HRN. Totally. Um, And then Kay, do you want to, speaking of patina, we're going to give a little shout out to a party they have coming up. Yes, absolutely. So if you're in New York for New Year's Eve, you definitely need to go to their cocktail style dinner, New Year's Eve party. They're going to have a chef station and a DJ. It goes from seven to 10. Um, so you can still like go, um, that's sorry. I'm totally saying this wrong. The, uh, the chef attendance station goes until 10 and then the party, party, party starts at 10 and goes till 1am. So you're going to ring in the new year inside the Palm House and Yellow Magnolia. The There's going to be open bar all night. There's complimentary hors d'oeuvres. There's a champagne toast. The uh, tickets for the dinner and the party are $250. If you want to just do the party from 10 o'clock on, it's $125. This is a dressed-up affair, so get fancy like we did for the gala. It was beautiful. <laughs> and uh, to get your tickets, go to the Upcoming Events tab at patinaevents.com. And then one last announcement for upcoming events, um, a little bit further away, but both uh, two of our shows, The Farm Report and Andrew Talks to Chefs, will be taping live episodes uh, at the Brooklyn Podcast Festival in January. We'll have more details for you very soon, but in the meantime, you can go and check out the lineup for the full festival at cityfarmpresents.com slash bkpodfest. We're very excited about that. All right, and then... Next up, we have a few headlines, as we normally do. So this week on The Farm Report, we get a look into the world of aquaponics, which is a system that pairs produce growing with raising fish. At Oko Farms in Bushwick, Brooklyn, Yemi Amu operates the largest outdoor aquaponics farm in New York City. Amu sits down with host Lisa Hell to discuss the benefits and challenges of producing food using aquaponics, how Oko Farms is contributing to healthy food access in local communities, and how she's teaching both kids and adults how to follow her lead. We also had a lot of great wine content on the HRN Airwaves this week. On the Grape Nation, Sam Ben Ruby dove into Portuguese wine with Paolo Russell Pinto of the Institute of the Wines of Douro. And over on In the Drink, Joe Campanelli welcomed Athena Bochanis, who's the founder and owner of Pelinkiri, a company that's dedicated to bringing the wine culture of Hungary to the U.S. And finally... 
Uh, Sherry Bayer had on the wonderful Jordan Salcido on All in the Industry to talk about her wonderful wine spritz, Ramona. And also, you are in like the last hour of bidding. I just have to throw this out there. Mm. Uh, for Charity Buzz... Um, so that you can actually bid on an experience with Jordan on our Charity Buzz auction. And in the meantime, you're going to be supporting HRN. So visit heritageradionetwork.org slash auction to check that out. And we have a bunch of other wonderful lots that are closing in just about an hour and change. So scurry on over there, guys. Please check it out. Yes. And very exciting. This week on Meet and 3. You may have just heard we were very busy this week, and so we're very lucky that our intern team was able to step up and basically, not basically, literally produce the entire episode of Meet and 3 yeah, for us. Yeah, we didn't do anything. We were like, good job. They. The last thing I heard was, our theme is going to be danger. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Go we're for like, it. sounds good. Here's the keys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and we l- just listened to the episode today. It's going to come out tomorrow, and we're so excited. They're, they're going to have some very interesting stories about how food relates to danger whether that's literally as in eating puffer fish that are poisonous unless you handle them correctly or what's the danger of like losing your cultural food identity so like literally danger and like figuratively or literally danger so please tune into that tomorrow i'm very excited for this episode they could not have done a better job I have never been more excited for an episode of Mean Three because <laughs> you didn't have to spend hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't even have Matt edit it. We have a wonderful engineering intern, Amanda, and I she's mean, she edited the whole thing. Just wow, we're like just not needed. <laughs> we wow. should all go home. <laughs> so excited. Um, we're never letting our interns go if they're listening. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so those are our headlines. We have 35 weekly shows. That's just a taste, as always, of all the content that's on the network. Um, now we're going to turn back to our guest, Howard Conyers. Oh, wow. With our studio wow. audience chiming in. Man. <laughs> Such a crowd. Yeah. I know. It's all these people in the dining room just applauding. In Bushwick. Yeah. Uh, okay, wait. So, Howard, um, I'm very excited that you're here today, and I just got kind of the 411 on what you're doing in town and what you, where you've been so far and what you have planned. So tell us about um, when you got here, where you just ate, and what your plans are for the rest of your trip. So when I first got in town, I went to uh, Arrogant Swine, eat uh, barbecue at Tyson Ho. Heard about his story for a few years, and it was always on one of my list of places to go eat barbecue. Eastern North Carolina style barbecue in New Bushwick, uh, but I came, I came up here tonight because one of my friends Omar Chef Omar Tate is doing a pop up in Brooklyn, um, honeysuckle pop up, and he's looking at African inspired foods, and he actually brought my family sweet potatoes from South Carolina to support this event. So I came up here to kind of surprise him. So Aww. hopefully, I mean, I hope he's listening to HRM, but hopefully, hopefully he's not, not right now. Not right now. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully he listens to this episode later when you tell him that you I'm were sure on he's a show. Download it later. Kind Correct. Of yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm gonna tell him to download it. Yeah, he's probably. I'm sure he's busy like prepping for a dinner. Right I now. hope so, so. The chances are probably pretty slim. Um, any other time, I'm sure he's tuning in. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so that it's it's interesting that you went to Arrogant Swine because if anyone has been there it is very much a north carolina style barbecue spot and your background is from cooking south carolina style barbecue just very i mean there's a lot of conversation with people about what's the difference between regional barbecue styles but let's just break down the difference between what you wouldn't be making and what you would eat at someplace like arrogant swine 
So, I mean, I did a little excursion this summer. I went to Eastern North Carolina to do field verification myself, being an engineer. And <laughs> I wanted test. to compare Eastern North Carolina to PD Hole Hall Barbecue. I wanted to look at it. When I look at it, it was pretty similar, almost identical. The only thing that has changed over the years is in Eastern North Carolina, they chop it up finely and put um, skin in it, versus in South Carolina, they continue to do pulled pork. But And they have a vinegar pepper-based sauce. If you look at, like, Rodney Scott, he has a pepper-based sauce. Um, in Eastern North Carolina, they have a vinegar pepper-based sauce. And you have a lot of similarities. They're cooking it over wood, same type pit, direct heat. Um, so, I mean... How they cook skins is a little bit different. Um, they don't have barbecue hash in eastern North Carolina. They have more of a Brunswick stew. Uh, I also noticed they had a little more potatoes on the diet and uh, white potatoes on the on the menu in eastern North Carolina. I was kind of surprised to see that menu addition. Mm. Do they put white potatoes in their Brunswick stews? I, I didn't go that far to try that. Uh. I stayed away from that part. When I made a big Brunswick stew at our cane grinding a couple weeks ago, and I, I followed a recipe for, that I got from like Garden Gun. It was like more of a camp stew. And the most controversial thing was the fact that I didn't put potatoes in it. Some people were very angry about that. So I was wondering if... No, I, I didn't venture down that path. I just <laughs> stuck to the pork, cornbread, <laughs> coleslaw, and kept it real simple and water. And then, so you mentioned Rodney Scott. He's been on our show before, and um, you know he's won the James Beard Award now, so a lot of people have heard about Rodney Scott, um, a pitmaster from South Carolina as well. You and Rodney were named together um, on Southern Living's Southerners of the Year list. I was wondering how that came about, how you found out about it, and if you've talked to Rodney about that since. Honestly, I don't know how that came about. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't consider myself a chef. I consider my pit master. I, like, I live in the South, but I didn't really think. I just do the work. I really just want to do the work to honor the people who came before me, people in my community, share stories that I think are interesting about the South. So I don't really know how that recognition came. I did talk to Rodney about it, and it was shocking to him as well. And i like, you got the James Beard, and you get something. i like, but you are. I mean, he has done a lot in barbecue, and he's deserving of his recognition. But, um to be on that list, to be recognized out of the South, I was I was humbled. Well, it's well-deserved because you've been doing a lot, especially this year, to increase the profile of Southern food and, and especially the people that are so important to preserving a lot of these foodways. Um, yeah, that, that's more that that's really more important than the work I do myself personally. I mean, I, I really want to see people hear from the real experts, whether mm-hmm. it's David Shields or Chef B.J. Dennis or Chef Hardhead Harris in Shreveport, Louisiana. I want to talk to, like, real people. I mean, I may know a lot about the subject, but I really like to speak to people who are experts on particular topics. So let's talk about Nourish. Nourish. Tell us what Nourish is. Nourish is a digital show for PBS Digital Studios where we focus on food, culture, and science across the American South. And um, we did different episodes. We talked about whole hog on occasion. On one episode, we talked about gumbo with Miss Leah Chase. You couldn't find anybody else better. There's nobody else better in the country to talk about gumbo than Miss Leah Chase. Um, we talked about cornbread, such a spirited dish in the South, Gullah Geechee culture. I mean, um, we talked about boudin. Mm. What else we talked about? I mean, we just. I think one of my favorite episodes, it was, I think, the most indicative of like your point of view was the Cochon episode. Can you explain what that is and why why engineering kind of plays such a big role in that cooking method? So that was an interesting episode. That was a place I wanted to go see for like three or four years in Louisiana. But the engineering actually made the job a lot easier. Rotating a pig around a fire 
um, a little bit of ingenuity using a thrust bearing, a, ball, a thrust bearing and a rotisserie motor allows um, you to rotate a 150 or 200 pound hog without having a human being near to poke the stick. And it's hanging, it's like hanging vertically. Hanging vertically. And this, under this like giant pole shed. Under, yeah, under a giant pole shed. Uh, we got a fire on one side and they could pull the hogs closer to the fire or move them further back. But it's just a really neat process. When they first started that um, tradition in that part of the state of Louisiana, they were using much smaller pigs, running around 30 or 40 pounds. But now they're going up to like, I think the pigs they had on the show was like 225 pounds. They were monster hogs. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of leads into my question, Howard, which is, uh, so your day job, you're an aerospace engineer, you're a rocket scientist, right? So are there skills or learnings that you carry over from your day job into the food-related work that you're doing? Uh, I do now. Um, I will say, like, I, I pay attention to a lot of detail, and I think the perfect episode, uh, the perfect scenario where I say a rocket scientist collided with barbecue is when I went on this whole journey to cook a whole cow. I don't know how many times you have heard anybody cooking a whole barbecue pit cooked cow in the Only country. Only you. Only you. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Why did you decide this was going to be the next, like, mountain to climb? And what do you call it? Like, because it's uh, obviously a whole hog's a whole hog. What do you call a whole a whole? I don't know. Steer? What, what whole, is it? Like you, some of the literature, the historic literature says steer, ox, um, cows. Uh, so I think it's just a collection of those words. But um, I read a lot of literature with understanding, trying to really further my personal knowledge of barbecue besides oral. And they said a lot of a lot of ancestors actually cook whole cows too. And when I asked my father about it, nobody in my community talked about cooking a whole cow. And that part part of that reason is. When families had a cow, they had a cow for one purpose, and that was for milking. And they couldn't have sacrificed a cow for the sake of a barbecue. That makes sense. Um, so that made a lot of sense. And then my wife was from Wisconsin, and she said, you can't consider yourself a whole animal pit master if you haven't cooked a cold cow. So I said, okay, challenge. <laughs> so she made you do it. <laughs> she she taught, Hey, she reinforced the literature. She forced the challenge, and I said, you know what? So I'm going to cook a whole cow. And I want to really show America what African Americans done in barbecue because a lot of literature didn't – Say African American men cook barbecue, whether it was cows, goats, sheep, lamb, chicken, turkeys, and I cooked all of those animals except for the cow. Mm. And I so I had to go through the whole process of designing a specially made pit to better handle a big cow. And didn't your dad help you build that? Yeah, my my father built it. I can't take much credit <laughs> for the building part. Like uh, I did. A lot of design work, and I went to South Carolina two trips to help him do some fine-tuning on certain things on the rotating mechanism. But overall, he put that pit together. He was in welding for 45 years. Wow. So can you talk about – I watched, like, there was one video that's come out so far about, like, what it took to do that event. There were some very specific challenges involved with, like, load-bearing, with how to flip that cow. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's where the engineer came in. So, I mean, like um, – this cow was like 320, 330 pounds, and to handle that kind of weight, once you start cooking it, it's not an easy process because the meat get hot. Um, so I wanted something where I could easily rotate it, where even though the video showed like one, two people doing it, we could have did it by I could have did it by myself once I got it onto the pit. Um, but I wanted something that would do real easy, just like with that Koshan Delay episode where um, it'll rotate freely. Also, support that kind of weight. That's 
we had probably a 300-something pound cow, but we also probably had a 100-pound support structure just to keep the cow, like, perfectly flat during the cooking process. Would that be, like, internal, or was that underneath the cow? No, sandwich both sides. We had a support okay. structure both sides of the cow. Yeah. Um, and then we also had something to hold it up in place inside the pit. So it was a lot of engineering in that. And um, I did some things for its rotation. I didn't want the cow to go through the ashes. Um, I wanted bed to apply seasonings on both sides of the cow. Once it got in there, I just wanted to bed. I wanted to make sure it didn't fall out. And so we did a lot of safety things. And being an engineer, we over we probably overbuilt the first one because I didn't know how stiff it should be. Well, I could have did the calculations, but. I do enough calculations during my day job, and I say I didn't want to solve any beam equations, uh, deflection equations. So how uh, many people did you feed with the cow? I fed, in event, probably like 70 or 80 came, but we probably could have fed two or 300 people easily. Mm-hmm. And I, So I sent like half of that cow back to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. They sent it back to my community because I wanted them to enjoy. The, they, they saw my father working on this pit for months, and um, – what they said about this cow when I read it in the literature, they said it was the best barbecue meat you could ever have. And when I tasted it, I agree with it. And this is be my analogy of how it said it was so good. Imagine having the best cuts of steak in one or two bites. Hmm. How do you think about seasoning a cow in contrast maybe to seasoning a hog? Um, I did do a few things a little different, but I went – what I did, I went back toward the history. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give a very historical seasoning approach to the cow. But then we also, um, I, I allowed, it was a team of chefs, including B.J. Dennis, my friend Marcus Middleton, um, Chris Hayes. I wanted all those people who helped me cook this cow to put their own signature on it. And I and so I allowed them to come with their own, like, sauce if they wanted to do that. If they wanted to stuff a certain ingredient and they thought it was helpful to the seasoning. I said, this is going to be a community cow in the sense of cooking and seasoning. So everybody can say they had some ownership there. Mm, nice. Um, so Gumbo Jubilee was a, a whole event. The cow was kind of the centerpiece of that. But what else did you have at the event? And So I, I looked at um, African-American culture in Louisiana, New Orleans, since they celebrated Tricentennial this year. And then I looked at across the South, I added some elements from the Gullah Geechee culture. So I had it... Um, I had yakamine from Miss Linda Green on the menu. I had a dish called soup jamu from the Haitian culture, since that really contributed to New Orleans development. I had perlo rice, because that, that Geechee and okra soup, the Geechee culture. Um, we had a dessert spread, which was unbelievable, by uh, two talented chefs, Adrian Lipscone and E. Williams. I just I was blown away when I saw the saw the food. But then also I thought it was important to look at the music of New Orleans. And so we brought in the event. DJ Jubilee was partially the namesake of this event. And so he he created, he was one of the pioneers of bounce music in New Orleans. Wow. And so I wanted him to be the DJ. Um, I brought in Zydeco music. Cool. I brought a Mardi, a Mardi Gras Indians, brass band. And so I just wanted to have a good time. Food and music go hand in hand. You had everything. I had everything you could think of for that. What I thought when pe- I invited people nationally to come to it, so and it was open to the public, but everybody didn't realize what all I was gonna bring to the table. <laughs> I'm really sad I missed out. Are you gonna do it next year? 
I'm probably going to continue doing it in some form. I don't know if I'm they're going to see the cow again. Mm. <laughs> I think the cow, I want to treat it special. Mm-hmm. If I cook it every year, it wouldn't be special anymore. Be special every year, though. It'd be special every year, but it just wouldn't be. <laughs> I think when I did it, I mean, I'm not sure how I cooked the cow. You see a lot of people cooking cows, a saddle style like they're doing Argentino, mm-hmm. Argentina, but how I cooked the cow, I don't believe it's been done in America in 100 years. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. So next year you might think you might just do whole hog? I might not even cook. <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean now? We're unthinkable. Or, or I, might, I might cook a lamb or something. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um. So when we first met, it was like two and a half years ago now, and you you were doing a whole hog on like the sidewalk of Denver, <laughs> and it seemed like a very intense process because you actually had to like build a cinder block pit. Yeah, Denver, Colorado. That was a cooking <laughs> experience. Cooking on Larimer Square, on top of the sidewalk, and the city saying you need to build a, you you can't burn up the sidewalk, so they had to build a like platform above the sidewalk so not to burn that up and so we built this mammoth pit and to cook a whole hog for slow food nations and that's obviously very labor intensive so it's not something that you're necessarily like doing all the time um no that was that was tough that took a lot out of me and i I mean i when i committed to it i didn't realize my family reunion was the next weekend oh Oh, no and i cooked another hog i would imagine yeah yeah we were hosted in new orleans my cousin and myself and so um Oh, man. I had to cook a whole hog. My family said, we see you cooking hogs on TV and all this stuff on Facebook. The least we could do is get a hog. <laughs> Have you never done one for your family before? Well, it's like some of my extended family from like California, okay, okay. New York, yeah. uh, Phoenix. The family in South Carolina had it, but the ones who were like elsewhere, New York, they never had it. So uh, they were requesting so it. So you were on the hook. I, but was, I was on the hook. Yeah. But it was in New Orleans, so you had your own setup. Yeah, I was in there. New Orleans, so that made it a lot easier. easier. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question about, you know, doing a whole hog just like pop up in a, in a city is like not necessarily like your goal for the rest of the year. But what kind of events do you want to be doing? What sort of things are you interested in? Tra- and if you are going to travel, what do you want to be traveling for? I think the next phase of my uh, I think I want to better share more of knowledge that I have just beyond the food. So like if I'm cooking, I don't know how much I get to share. So I, what I really like about Slow Food Nation is I had the opportunity to give a lecture. So I think like sharing my oral knowledge, my my understanding of Southern food and my perspective would be very different from a lot of people. I grew up in a farm in South Carolina and I grew up in the South. So I think like my perspective is kind of, it's real. I mean, that's, there are some people who talk about Southern food, but they're not really from the South. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's one thing to research it in a book, but it's another thing to live it. Mm-hmm. And you, you went to an HBCU. I went to HBCU. North uh, which A&T, one? North Carolina A&T State University. And I'm surprised you knew that. That's yeah. good. Oh, yeah. And um, you, I mean, you've done some speaking engagements at some recently, correct? I went to North Carolina A&T this year. I went to Morris College this year. Um, so I did, I went to two HBCUs this year. And I try to do one or two a year. Do you think that's like an important, going to be like an important part of the work you do in the future, specifically working with HBCUs? I mean, I, I'm going to be open to speak to any group, and especially when there's young people involved. I think mm-hmm. like I'm, I want to better use my story that you can embrace your culture and still do remarkable things in your own career and not let that hinder you. But you should try to take your culture with you. Don't, mm-hmm. don't forget about your career, whether you're Native American or Hispanic 
or Asian, your culture is still something special. And food is a good way to share your culture with some other people. That's such a good soundbite, Howard. I've been we, doing this thing for We a live minute. for the sound bites here, but I, that's so, so good. I love that. Um, well, let's take a really quick break. When we come back, we'll chat a little bit more. And I don't know if I warned you about this, but we played, <laughs> we played trivia at the end of the show. Surprise. Uh, you're, you're nodding like, I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. <laughs> uh, and maybe Matt hasn't looked at the answers. It can help you out. We'll, we'll see. Oh, goodness. I technically haven't read them. I accidentally <laughs> saw one just now, but I'm flipping my paper over. You're going to so. yeah. have teammates. You I'm here well, Literally, oh. you have a rocket scientist on. <laughs> I mean, if you did not make this the hardest game of trivia we've ever had, then I'm upset with you. Well, I'm worried that I maybe did make it hard for a rocket scientist. I don't. I would not be able to write rocket scientist type questions. So I went the other end of the spectrum and went with like dumb trivia. <laughs> Howard's rolling his eyes. We like to uh, try to find the subjects our guests will be least good at. <laughs> but I try to write them in a way that's fun. It's all about fun. Okay. All quick right. break. Quick break. We'll be right back. Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Thank you, Roberta's. I've missed saying that the <laughs> last time. few weeks. Uh, that's so fun. Um, okay, so we're here with Howard Conyers, who is an oral historian, uh, TV host, um, pitmaster, NASA scientist. Just keep adding things to your title. That should be your goal. More things. Um, also, uh, he's great at Facebook. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, he always is posting something very interesting and like something that adds to your life on Facebook where most people, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of just kind of stream of consciousness on Facebook. But Howard has very thoughtful posts. And one of the things you talked about recently was how um, historically African-American families had, you know, a grist mill and a sugarcane mill, which is I perked up because obviously my family does some sugarcane um, syrup making, and um, but you are very interested right now in the grist mill side of things. Yes, tell us what you're working on. So I'm working on. I had a grist mill and I want to restore it. I want to bring it back to life in my community that I bought probably 12 years ago. But there was a miller, a black milling family, and he wanted to see this mill back in operation. And I said, if I could bring this mill back to life. He may be able to share stories about what happened during that time period that would trigger that only a mill or that device and apparatus in operation could actually 
bring out. Me having a conversation would not bring out the same nuances because he could smell it, he could feel it, he could hear it. And I think it would be something special to record conversations, a dialogue around the mill from him, who was, a, I would say, an expert during that time. And so what's going to be involved in the process of getting that mill back up and running? So we already start like looking through old like metal mills manuals and trying to figure out what parts missing. When I bought the mill, I emailed the manufacturer. The original manufacturer is still in business today in North Carolina, and they told me the parts that was missing. But I'm also bringing uh, Greg Johnsman from Geechee Boy Mills because I think he's one of the most knowledgeable millers in the country, and so uh, I want him to lay his eyes on it to see if we're going about anything wrong. Um, and then I'm going to just kind of restore it to the point to get it working. I'm not going to try to restore it all the way and make it brand new. I want it to look like it just came out the farmhouse. Mm. How big of a mill are we talking? It's a 20-inch stone bird mill, so it's probably, um, it's a nice size. I can't tell you, I can't really stride. It's probably uh, five, four feet. No, it's not four feet. It's probably 30 inches wide and probably like uh, 36 inches high. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need its own building. No, it doesn't. But need its, it's own not building. easy no. for you to pick it up. Oh no, you can't have pick a tabletop it up. It's bigger than a bread box. Yeah, that was yeah. my question. <laughs> nah, you can't. You just can't Visualize move it like that. It. You need a yeah. forklift of some sort. Yeah. Um, and so this would be like how how big of a batch of grain would you be processing? I mean, if I did this? it, I only probably do two or three bushels just to nostalgia. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do it for commercial operation. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but it would, and would that be set up in South Carolina? Oh, that'd be set up in South Carolina. Yeah. But it could be something that could be cool to have, like, a community mill where it could be utilized. Yeah, it would, it would be cool. I mean, I never really thought about that part of it, but I, I really just thought about more of the actual better to bring it out and yeah. showcase it and see it and bring back those old memories. You know who's interested in a grist mill, or they were at one point? The Museum of Food and Drink here in New York was very interested in getting a grist mill to, like, display. But I'll tell them that yours is going to be in south carolina yeah, they can go visit yeah. if they want yeah, yeah. They go visit yeah as you can imagine it's probably pretty hard to find a grist mill in new york city yeah i'm pretty <laughs> sure it is but they, i mean especially if they want an old one they, they yeah. can get a new one out of vermont but they, they get an old one yeah, yeah. I, I really like what i've been seeing too with public libraries having like different things other than books like my yeah. my little town in maine the public library now has um like kitchen equipment like specialty stuff that you might need for a holiday but you don't want to keep around all the time I think it would be cool to like put a grist mill in a library or something where you, really you could come idea. and use it and just t- take what you need. And yeah, that'd be cool. I like that. Or like some, um, like some communities have community ovens. Yeah, correct. It could be cool to have a community oven and a community mill. Yeah, I thought about making one of these. Uh, you know, these ovens you have in these countries that make dirt ovens, like mm-hmm. Tandoor. Is that a Tandoor? No, oven? not a Tandoor. No, they like a they look like an igloo. It's, oh. like, it's like a pizza oven kind of Like a pizza oven oh. type thing. Oh. I want to make one of those. That'd After going awesome. to Trinidad, I really wanted to make one of those. Oh, we didn't even get into like the Trinidad trip, which <laughs> had to have been amazing. It was amazing. I mean, to see some of the things I saw in Trinidad was life changing. Also, culturally, it was really good because I get to see what I would say, glimpse of what um, Buccaneering was. So I get to see like a something to contribute to American barbecue. I don't think it's all there, but it's parts of it. And um, seeing the Maruga Hill rice. Um, Is that the rice that was featured in the New York Times article? Yeah. That was kind what, of the missing link rice? Yeah. And, and so the culture, the story behind that is more fascinating. And the individual who found that, who, who was working hard in Trinidad, Francis Marine was doing a lot of work in that. Um, that was fascinating to see that. 
it, that was a good trip. I mean, and so I'm really interested in traveling more across the diaspora and back to West Africa one of these days. Yeah. Cool. I'm interested to follow your oh, yeah. follow your journey. I think you, you saw that sugarcane meal that one time. When you posted that video, <laughs> I knew my dad was going to flip out. It was this ginormous <laughs> water-powered water water-powered. Water-powered sugarcane mill, and it was unlike anything I've ever seen. I was shocked. It, it almost half as big as the, I know. It was huge. It's like as big as this room. As big as each roller. That's was crazy. Huge. Wow. Um, yeah. I, it made me want to go to Trinidad. That's for sure. Let's go. Yeah. Let's try it on tour. Let's do it. Sounds like we'll get Howard to give us a tour. Hey, we, we, hey I'm all about going back. <laughs> I, people, I think the people in Nourish might like it too. Yeah. Let's do it. So there's really quick before we do trivia, there's one more episode of Nourish coming out. It's about Gumbo Jubilee. It's about Gumbo Jubilee. And then, are we hoping we're going to have more? It's up to the viewers and supporters. You know how this media thing go. You guys got to watch Nourish on YouTube. Watch it like five million times. And make sure your friends know about it. Yes. They're all so good and they're all so unique. I really like the one with John Coy Kendall about... Oh, that was... Oh, that was... Tomatoes. Watch, I love the episode. Watch that He's and like... He's the one who wrote that big tomato book, right? I believe he's he's he the master like, gardener at he, Blackberry Farm. Yeah, he yeah. Wrote, I think he wrote a big book about. And him. he's just he's so funny. He's so funny, so <laughs> fascinating. Like, oh, it was we had so much fun on the episode. I think people don't really understand his wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Um, like he was talking to him reminded me a lot of why I do this work. Somebody got to carry it on the next generation. You have to preserve the knowledge that he has because it is like just endless. Endless. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I mean, there's also like much like there's younger people doing the work too, but I mean, it's like, it's gotta be something that every generation we have another person taking that on. So, yes. Well, speaking of endless knowledge, endless knowledge. Okay. okay. So Howard, <laughs> I, this was very, don't run, don't run. Um, this was very hard because, uh, you know, so much about food. I can never write trivia questions that would stump you about the, the types of food that you're familiar with. And I'm not even going to try to write trivia about aer aerospace, so forget it. So I decided, since you're, you do a digital series that I watch on YouTube, that I would do trivia about viral food videos. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> do I get a pass card or you get, you a, get a phone call? You get a phone, you a, friend. Get a, phone a friend. Phone a friend. Yeah. Okay. Me and Matt. Okay. Question number one. Last year, people began participating in a viral video trend where they would scare their cats with what snake-like <laughs> snake -like fruit? Snake-like fruit? Think of a fruit, technically a fruit. Some might call it a so vegetable. That's kind of a hint, yeah. It looks like long and green like a snake. Not a, not a plantain. Yeah, that's not a vegetable. That's not a fruit. <laughs> it's not a... It's not a Think about what might scare a cat. Mm. And so, it was it was like the cat had to be surprised. I do uh -huh. I do know this one. It was the like they would to they, see it and like they'd put it on the floor behind the cat and he'd turn around and he'd think it was a snake and he'd jump. I don't I don't know that it can't be I don't know now you got me on this. One. <laughs> I think I'm gonna lose this battle. <laughs> it's okay. I mean I need to watch more digital content. <laughs> oh, okay, maybe yeah. not this time. I'm not sure that you need to. <laughs> <honestly>. <laughs> it, it was not that like life affirming. Uh, uh, well, so, do you want me to give you this one for free? Yeah, please. It was the the cucumber, and I think they were specifically using those long English cucumbers. And laying it on the floor, and the cats would turn around. Apparently, it was like really mean and dangerous for the cats. Yeah, so you could really, it could startle them and yes. give them like a, actually like a heart problem. So, listeners, 
don't scare don't your cat with your cat with cucumbers. Cats are but nice. A cucumber is a cucumber fruit or a vegetable? It's a fruit, technically fruit. a fruit. I just want it's to make sure It's the seeds you know. are on the inside. Yes, that's right. Seeds on the inside. <laughs> that's what they say. All right, question number two. <laughs> this viral marketing campaign was designed to show off the strength of a certain household item by creatively destroying things like silly putty, golf balls, iPhones, glow sticks, and more. What kitchen appliance was that meant to show off? What kitchen appliance? Jeez. Okay, I'll give you a hint of what the appliance is, and then you tell me if you know what the series was called. I definitely know what the series was called. <laughs> I, mean, I can promise you that. I was about to say you had liquid nitrogen or something. It's called. They were. They were marketing blenders. Mm-hmm. Go figure. <laughs> it was called. Will it blend? Will it blend? And it's like an old, it's like a pretty long standing series. And then they, they just put random things in they blenders. They put like an iPhone in a blender. They love to try to blend technology. Yeah. I feel like we should end the show right now. I, and th- just I watch, think so. so. This, is, this is bad for the reputation. I'm good though. Whatever. Okay. Uh, question number three. What first We Feast video series has helped earn over 4 million subscribers by putting celebrities into the interview hot seat? Literally and figuratively. I, I tell you, I don't really watch much content. <laughs> I need to, I this need is to a live good a little one. bit. I, this can is a, can this you repeat is, the question? Yeah, it's a First We Feast video series, and it's an interview series where they put celebrities in the hot seat. First We Feast. Oh, first. Oh, first um, it's like. It's not. No, it's not mine of a shelf. No, mm-mm. it's not. This the is seat one is only, hot? There are only two that I had ever like even sort of heard of, and this is one of them. Oh. This is a, this is a fun like fun uh, interview show you can watch on YouTube. It's not ugly delicious, but it, it's like only on YouTube. Only on YouTube. And okay, so I what don't they, know. I'm, I'm, y'all got me. Today. It's the show where the celebrities they they eat hot wings and then they are asked questions and the wings get progressively hotter. Have you Those, ever seen this one? No, no. Okay, it's called Hot Ones. Oh, you've never seen. Okay. Not, no, I, it's I, it's worth watching. There I are some very full, funny. Y'all know movies. I work two full time jobs. I mean, nearly. I, I did, knew this is why this be hard. <laughs> okay. I okay. Two jobs. I think I think we might be able to get in the next one. Okay. This I already failed at this point. <laughs> no, everybody Wait, wins. Howard. Yeah, don't okay. worry. There's a bell curve. There's a bell curve. Don't bell worry. Bell curve. Yeah. Oh. Okay. This <laughs> this viral YouTube video included elaborate choreographed experiments that proved that this drink and candy combination caused an explosion oh. when combined. Man, I wish it was peanuts and soda, but that wouldn't be... You're close. Yeah, yeah. You're very close. Really? It's soda, and then you drop this candy in, and it erupts. Oh, Mentos. Yeah. Mentos, I remember that. It's, and I do you know the man. soda? It's a specific it's, one. Yeah, do you remember yeah. what specific soda it was? And they would say that if you would eat Mentos and then drink this, that you would die. (laughs) And that's how they would demonstrate it. But I'm not sure about that. Yeah, close. But it has to be... What version of Coke? Vanilla Coke. Mm -mm. It wasn't Diet Coke. It have to be this particular (laughs) version. It really didn't, but it was like... (laughs) But it was like the urban legend. Don't do this or you'll die, see? And then you drop it in. I mean, I like... I'm from the South. I like salted peanuts in, in a cold so drink. So good. So good. Yeah. You drop them in the drink? I'm, yeah. I'm from Maine. I don't know anything about yeah. this, but tell me more. That's a Southern state. We take some salted peanuts. You put it in like a, a soda bottle. It need to be a glass bottle. It can't be Mexican this canned stuff. You got to get the bottle. 
and you drop it in there and then you let it sit to the bottom and you drinking it. People may say it sounds gross, but it's really good. It sounds good. It's it's very put the peanut, this is a dumb question. Uh, you already roasted. In the shell? Out of the shell. Out of the shell. Out of the shell. Yeah. Out of the shell. Like just roasted, just roasted cracked onions. And then yeah. do you eat the peanuts at the end? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of, they get kind of mush? Uh, I don't know. I pro- don't. Maybe a tiny bit. Sounds Maybe like tiny, boiled, but not. Just like the outside. Okay. Yeah. It's like the southern equivalent My- of boba tea. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> yes. You might be on to sure. something, Matt. But my combination, like my gas station snack, like country store gas station snack growing up was always grape, grape knee high and bull peanuts. So good. Mm. <laughs> what's a grape knee high? That's a soda. It's a grape soda. Grape soda. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you don't, can't get them here. You really can't. All right. Last question. This is my favorite one because it involves, it kind of ties into your career. Okay. It's obscure though. And I apologize. In this recurring, Cat, sorry, not sorry. Do you know what Vine was? No. Vine oh. was an app that was like 10 second videos. Okay. Okay. Doesn't exist anymore. This was a recurring Vine series where a spoonful of cereal would move into the screen in front of a dramatic movie scene. It made it appear like this actor, this movie star, was refusing to eat cereal. Do you know who the movie star is? I have no clue. I'll give you a hint. It's so hard. I'll give you a hint. He's currently, his current most recent role has him playing a very famous astronaut. It's Oh, currently? Yep. You know what movie's out right now? Yeah, but I haven't gone, I haven't. I, I really don't watch NASA-related content when I leave work. <laughs> You're not like all rockets all the time? I know. I try to find something on the side of my brain. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, the movie is First Man, which I have a fun fact about. It's The movie's about Neil Armstrong. Yeah, it's about Neil Armstrong. I mean, the last movie I watched, I watched The Martian. I thought that the was Martian's good. pretty good. It was pretty good. But fun fact, the 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 um, biography of Neil Armstrong that the movie's based on was written by my college professor. Yeah, at Auburn. Anyway, the uh, answer, I, yeah. War Tiger, like War Eagle. Submit that I think that given how bad he's doing at this, you're actually winning at life. Even though you're losing the game, you're winning at life because <laughs> yeah, you're not spending true. very much time on YouTube. No, he's not. I'm not. I, I had a feeling that would be the case. <laughs> he's he's on YouTube as a content creator host <laughs> but yeah. not as a content consumer <laughs> not as a content consumer wise very wise okay well the answer to that question is it was Ryan Gosling who refused to eat his cereal and it's one of my favorite food related YouTube videos uh, that's pretty funny I'm, I'm receiving a correction from a listener okay let's, um, let's have my it. husband is really upset by my fruit versus vegetable seed on the inside thing because strawberries and- yeah, well, like, okay, so I'm so just going to, just so that we are all on the same page here, I'm just going to pull from the first article. He's going to be, like, texting me a storm in a second. <laughs> just remember how um, hard we've worked the last two weeks and how little we've slept and how yes, please how melted our poor brains are after this gala. But They're okay. fruit. On Live Science, it says that a fruit, botanically speaking, is a seed-bearing structure that develops from the ovary of a flowering plant, Whereas vegetables are the other parts, like the roots, leaves, and stems. So things, seedy outgrowths like apples, squash, and tomatoes are all fruits, while roots like beets and potatoes and leaves like spinach and stems like celery would all be vegetables. But there's another point of view here that culinarily speaking, a lot of foods that are savory rather than sweet are considered vegetables by chefs. So that would be some botanical mm-hmm. fruits like eggplants, bell peppers, and tomatoes. Hmm. But... Um, there is a, a botanical definition, which is like the 
the seed bearing ovary of the plant once it's mature that's the fruit so just, i'm sticking just with so that. we're all clear um and I, I don't want to have any more angry listeners on my hands he's he's asking if a cashew is a fruit um hmm. i'm not sure nuts fall into that i'm not answering that question i'm growing the south that, that's what my alibi plead the fifth <laughs> plead the fifth <laughs> but cashew fruit is for sure a fruit the best fruit. i mean yeah yeah makes sense um, well, Howard, thanks for being a good sport with trivia. Sorry it was hard. It's trivia. all good. You can't win at everything. You, I, I have priorities. I, I you do. You can you be a Southerner of the year, and you can be a NASA rocket scientist, and you can have a business card like a CVS receipt, but you can't always win our trivia here on HR and you know Happy you Hour. You know how you do? You have good friends. Yeah. Yes. Who can help you out. That's right. That's how you do this. And thing. you don't need to spend too much time on YouTube, guys. It's okay. Just uh, walk, no, get out there and no, live you need your to life. Watch you, you need, need to watch one video a day. Definitely watch Nourish. Nourish. You definitely need to watch Nourish. But you don't need to be watching all these cat videos of cucumbers and stuff. Maybe watch Ryan Gosling not eating cereal because it's okay. very also, funny. Yes, you should yes. do that. It's very funny. And it. they're short. They're 10 seconds. So. How about this? For every episode of Nourish you watch, <laughs> you can, you can watch up to three dumb YouTube videos and then you should go like do your day. Yeah. And I that's do. the perfect way thought to end on because <laughs> yes, I... I second that sentiment. For every episode of Norris, you can watch three dumb videos. I yes. agree. Thanks. Yeah, we're all on the same page <laughs> that, that, That's our uh, endorsement. That's yeah. our endorsement. I don't know if it's, that's exactly what you wanted, but that's what we're going to give you. Howard, it was so nice to have you on the show. I've been hearing so much about you. You've been supporting HR and Happy Hour for a while. We've got a little guitar riff because I'm so excited to have you here in the <laughs> yeah, studio. Yeah, that's what that means. Yeah. And, well, um, did a tour for you all, I believe, in New Orleans. Yeah, you did. You Thank supported you so us much. on Charity Buzz, and we really, really appreciate that. So thanks for being part of the HRN family, and we're just so psyched that you stopped by today. Oh, and I, I hope to. you eat just wonderful things on the rest of your time in New well, York. I will. I can't wait. And next time you're back up in town, come by again. Come by again. I can come by. It's open door policy. Open door. Absolutely. For you, always. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks again to Matt Patterson, our engineer, and our trivia supporter. And thanks to Katie Mosman Wadler for always being my co pilot, co host, co everything. Thanks, Kat. (laughs) Love being your co everything. I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to co pilot some more stuff. Yes, we will. Um, And and we have one more episode of HR and Happy Hour. That's the plan, unless we're feeling uh, we're feeling extra special the following week. But yeah, yeah. we right. might take we'll a break tune in next week. We might just take a little break. Yeah, send us your thoughts of encouragement <laughs> so we can get through the next couple of weeks of front end of your fun drive. Ooh. All right. And become a member. HRN. And, and send us your dollars. HeritageRadioNetwork.org slash donate. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. <laughs> HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. 
For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.